Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Hello. On this episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast, I'm going to introduce you to Katie Brown. Katie was one of my students in the Start Your Private Practice system, and in the last six months, she has gone from just thinking about private practice to having 15 private practice clients per week. Here is Katie's story. My name is Jenna Castro-Casbon. I am part of a group of private practitioners who have taken client care into our own hands. We are skilled clinicians who pride ourselves on providing high-quality care to our clients and their families. We are fighting against productivity requirements, administrative red tape, and unnecessary restrictions. We started our own private practices to take control of our professional and personal lives, of our schedules, of our incomes, of our future. We work hard for our clients, but on our terms. We believe in helping others, but also helping ourselves. We are not interested in competing with each other because we hope we'll all make it. We are successful private practitioners, and these are our stories. All right, so before we dive in, can you please share your name, your location, and the name of your private practice? Of course. So my name is Katie Brown. I live in Buffalo, New York, and my practice is NeuroSpeech Solutions. So Katie, I'm so excited to be doing this episode with you because for one, you came through the Start Your Private Practice program. So I've been able to see you from the very beginning of when you were first starting your private practice journey through now when you have some exciting news that I'm hoping you'll share with the audience. It's your news to share. I'll let you share it. But what I wanted to hear about is like the beginning parts of your, you know, your career. So can you tell people about like what you did maybe like during grad school or during your CF that maybe in a way shaped who you are as a clinician and where you're maybe heading? Absolutely. Um, I started my CF first in acute care. I started, um, I got hired by a contract company and I told them, you know, I really would love to work in acute care. And they had a few small hospitals in the area that they contracted for. So they said, great, we've got the perfect supervisor for you. And we're going to put you in, you know, one of our small hospitals so that you can really learn and, you know, get that one-on-one time, which was great for the first couple weeks. And then my CF supervisor left. (laughs) Yes, it always works that way, right? Um, So my CF supervisor left for a one of the big hospital systems in Buffalo. And, you know, it was a shuffle of where am I going to go now, because they didn't want to leave me in acute care all on my own, which was very understandable. (laughs) So I went to a skilled nursing facility. 
And I kind of bounced around several skilled nursing facilities in the area. They had contracts, you know, all over. So, you know, I would spend one day in this one and then the next day in this and and so on. So I really was able to see a lot of different, you know, facilities, how things are run, how, you know, PT and OT and speech collaborate. I mean, it's, it's a different world from facility to facility. So I was able to learn a lot there. And so, okay, so you started, clearly you're an adult medical kind of a person or an adult focused person. So you started, you know, and it's such a shame when that happens to CFs, when they, they get kind of abandoned by, by a supervisor, because it really is supposed to be, you know, a time where you're, you know, mostly solid and and out there and and working, but it is really nice to have, you know, have that supervision, have that check in person. So I'm sorry that that happened to you. And it sounds like you got shifted from acute care to skilled nursing, but that you were still able to pick up on things like, you know, how facilities work and how differences between staffing and all of those kind of things. So at what point did you maybe start, was, was this kind of when you started thinking about private practice or at what point did that kind of enter into your mind? Sure. So private practice had been in my mind since grad school. I worked at my, one of my externships was at an outpatient therapy clinic. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, this is the dream. You know, someone else schedules you, you know, you just walk to the waiting room and you grab the patient and bring them back. And it, it, you know, it was so wonderful. And I had a really great externship supervisor too, but you know, there were still politics there you know, working for one of the bigger healthcare systems in the area. It was their outpatient clinic. And I always wanted to do private practice, but I wanted to kind of do it on my own terms. So, so that, so I ended after skilled nursing, um, I did end up going and working, doing some outpatient uh, after I had my son. And that's where I was working a couple times a week. So that way, you know, I had time to be with my son all of those things. I had a a nice balance there. Uh, But, you know, it it wasn't necessarily exactly what I wanted it to be. And and why was that? What what part of it wasn't exactly what you wanted it to be? Well, for one, I saw every, so we, we all had, there's three of us, we all had our three things. One, all pediatric. Any kid went to the speech pathologist. The other was a voice. Anybody that was voice went to her. And then there was me. Any adult came to me. So that meant anything from a 19-year-old with Arctic to, you know, a 40-year-old with childhood onset fluency that, you know, wanted to kind of brush up uh, to, you know, where my passion is, stroke, dysphagia, cognitive communication, everything like that. And that's really where I wanted to hone everything in. I just didn't like being a generalist SLP. And that's one of the things that's great about private practice is that people can make that decision, right? When, when you're working in a, you know, a, a regular job, whether it's a hospital or a school or early intervention, and people are just kind of put on your caseload, some of those people will hopefully be your people, right? Whoever your people are. Yes. But there will be some percentage of the caseload, ho- hopefully not that big, but you never know, that are just people that you, and it's not that, you know, you're an uncaring person or whatever, but they're just like clinically, you know, not in your zone of genius, like the other people are. Absolutely. And so what I hear you saying is that you, you had all these experiences and you started to think, you know what, I don't really want to be a generalist. I want to start to 
decide which kind of clients I want to treat because those are the people that I do the best work with. Yes, exactly. You know, it's getting all of those different types of diagnoses. I had to come home and I had to do a lot of late nights brushing up on my fluency techniques. And I would rather be brushing up on some good evidence-based aphasia practices. You know, so it's it's not that I wasn't doing justice to the patient. It was just, like you said, it wasn't my passion. It wasn't my zone of genius. Yeah. And so it sounds like at that point is when you started to maybe want to make that shift. You, you said that you had thought about private practice since grad school. Mm-hmm. And so now you're starting to get this generalist caseload and it's not sitting so well with you. So what happened next? So... After one frustrating day, I went to my email and in my inbox was an email from you. <laughs> it was it was the perfect storm, Jenna. Uh, it was about a mini course. I think it was, you know, five reasons to start your private practice or five steps to start your private practice. And it was being held that night. Like I said, perfect storm. So I immediately signed up, told my husband, he's like, all right, go for it. So uh, I took it and then you, you spoke about your the start your private practice course at the end. And that was it. I love it. Well, yes. that's, that's the kind of thing too, where, you know, opportunities sometimes just come into our lives and we don't necessarily know why, right? There's a, a quote that I really like, which is trust the timing of your life. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who said it, but someone very wise. Yes. And you know, I think that there's lots of times where, you know, coincidental things happen and we can either choose to ignore them or give them some thought and perhaps pursue them. And, you know, who knows why I sent that email that day to, to you or in, and why you opened it versus being like, Oh no, I'm tired. I'll look at that later. But you know, I'm, I'm happy that you saw something or that you were given an opportunity at a time when you were ready to take it. So what happened next? So then I, you know, doubted myself. Am I ready? I don't know. Are you ever ready? You know, all of those things. And I think that I realized that you're never ready. Number one, you're never going to be ready for anything. You just have to do it. And then the other thing that worried me was, you know, I had at this point, I'm only in my fourth year of being a practicing speech language pathologist. And I started doubting myself, you know, no, I need more experience. I need more this. I need more that, you know, just all of that self-talk that keeps you down. And over the past year, I've really learned how to hone that in, just stop it, readjust. Um, And I, I realized some of my preconceived notions of private practice have really been myth busted over the past, you know, six months. You don't need to be in the industry for decades. You just need to be ready and willing to learn. You need to be willing to take CEU courses. You need to put yourself out there and just be ready to take whatever comes. Yeah. And that you don't have to wait until the very end of your career, right? To become an, to be a quote unquote expert, that you can become an expert as you're building your practice. Absolutely. Right. And that you, you have a lot to offer, even as a young clinician, you know, you are working in a job. Someone has hired you mm-hmm. and feels that you are competent enough to work in, you know, a SNF or a school or an EI or whatever. 
So you have the clinical skills. What people are missing oftentimes are two things, the business skills and also the confidence that they can take what they know and use it, use the tools and your knowledge like for your own clients, right? You know, you were already doing this by day for someone else. You can take that same knowledge and expertise that you've been building or starting to build and, you know, cut out the middleman and do it for yourself. And it sounds like that's exactly what you tried to figure out how to do. That is, that's exactly what I did. I also, another thing that I saw in my area was the need for home-based services. As far as I know, I am the only home-based outpatient speech pathologist that, you know, at least focuses in adult neuro in my area. I had tons of patients coming through that were getting transportation to the office and then waiting for two hours at the office for transportation to come and pick them back up. And it's just really a a valuable service for these people that are technically not homebound, right? They can't get home care, but it's great to do it in their own environment, to do speech therapy in their own environment. It's it's so beneficial for the family, for themselves, money-wise, and just for the overall continuity and carryover into their everyday life as well. Yeah. And the way that you're talking makes me think that you're also probably a very functional therapist. Yes, I am. (laughs) Right. That you want to be in that home environment so that you can really get that, you know, maximizing the carryover for your clients and for their families. Absolutely. I uh, am very, very passionate about um, person-centered and functional evidence-based practice. You know, when I first started out, I would pull out the walk books And, you know, I would give them their three pages for the day and go on to the next one. And uh, there was a switch maybe in, you know, just right after my CF where I realized, what am I even doing? Am I I even helping them? I remember telling a, a, who was a retired physician, I'm like, just let's do these exercises and you'll get better. (laughs) And he said to me, will I? And it makes you take a hard, long look at yourself. Like, will you get better by just doing these paper worksheets? And the answer is probably not. It's got to be something that's very salient to their everyday life and um, something that they actually do. Yeah, absolutely. And that will make a difference and is also motivating. Yes, of them, course. Right? I, I know those those workbooks and I started off with those workbooks too. And at some point you do start to not feel right about some of the things that you're doing clinically, if that's kind of what is part of that setting, mm-hmm. that's just kind of what goes goes with the territory. And I think that we all then have to make decisions. Okay, do I continue to do this work that feels subpar and that we're starting to kind of question whether or not the client's outcomes are really the best? And at what point do you start to say that you're not not really okay with that? And feel like you can provide more for people in a way that will feel, you know, feel good to you and make you and feel rewarding to you clinically, but also make you feel like you truly are making a difference for your clients and not just that they're, you know, your one o'clock patient or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. You're not just photocopying seven copies for your seven patients that all have different impairments, but somehow you're making it work for all of them. Yeah. And that's, and you know, that's pretty much where my, where my private practice is. I 
you know, right on my website, you'll see person-centered care in your home. That's, that's my selling point. I'm coming to you. We're going to work as a team. I may be the quote unquote expert as a speech pathologist, but you're the expert in yourself. Okay. So we're going to work as a team. We're going to make goals together and we're going to reach those goals together. Yeah. There was something else that you just said that I think is important for listeners to think about, which is, it sounds like you don't have a physical office space or a a more typical, you know, or stereotypical anyway, brick and mortar practice that you're seeing clients in their homes. And that obviously will help you, you know, save money on overhead and those kind of things. You can have a physical location at some point if you choose to, but you said something important, which is that part of your selling point or a, a benefit of working with Katie Brown is that she will come to your house and do in-home therapy, which is very attractive to a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. And especially with the population that I work with as well, people who've had strokes, who have Parkinson's disease, you know, traumatic brain injuries. A, a lot of these individuals are having trouble. They either they can't drive themselves or, you know, they have trouble doing so and they have to rely on their family members who may work, who have a certain schedule to abide by. And this really just kind of opens it up and allows it to be very flexible. I love it. So what would you say that your private practice looks like now or what, what do you, what do you think, what does your private practice look like? Like in terms of, you know, how many clients are you seeing or that kind of thing? Okay. So, uh, so right now I have about 15 sessions a week that I do and I got them all by word of mouth, uh, social media, websites, support groups, none by the, what you would think, you know, like doctors. I have yet to have a doctor refer to me. Uh, I'm going to be going hard with marketing to doctors soon. However, it's it's possible to get patients or clients without having doctors send them to you. You just kind of have to be creative in the way that you're looking for people. My very first patient that I got was from a blog post and it was shared a few times. And I got a call the next day that said, I saw a blog post on Facebook um, about Parkinson's disease and how speech therapy can help. And I had no idea that speech therapists could help me with my voice. And it went from there. See, that's what I said about earlier too. Like, who knows why you wrote that blog post that day? You (laughs) shared it. Facebook has its own algorithm that decides who it shows what posts to why that woman specifically logged on, scrolled through her feed, saw your blog post, and then found her way to you. And how how sad too that she didn't know that SLPs would have a role in helping her, you know, with, with her voice and with Parkinson's. But anyway, it's how wonderful that all of that happened, right? Like that's what I'm talking about in terms of like when when people are ready for opportunities to appear, they appear. So how cool that that happened for you and that then you've had this wonderful snowball effect of, you know, of the word of mouth and of, you know, website and social media and everything else, getting to, to this point where you have 15, you know, clients a week is really quite amazing given that I feel like you're still kind of in the beginning stages of all of this. I am, you know, um, I started my private practice six, seven months ago. It happened a lot faster than I thought it would. Um, I'm incredibly happy about that. 
the, you know, the news that you said maybe you'll share with any of the listeners is that I uh, just put in my letter of resignation to my part-time outpatient job. And I am incredibly, incredibly excited to be able to work for myself, make this work for my family. You know, I have a young son, I'm married. It gives me flexibility. It gives me freedom. It, it gives me so many opportunities. And to think that it all started with, I clicked an email and, and that just kind of gave me the courage to start. And it's, it's really a wonderful thing. And I've, I've grown so much over the past year as not just a clinician, but, you know, as a, as a human, you know, as a mother, as a wife, as a, as a woman, I'm so much more confident in myself and I'm feel like I'm kind of ready to take on the world, (laughs) so to speak. That might sound a little uh, cheesy or whatnot, but I mean, private practice has given me a lot of confidence in myself and my skills. And it's just, it's, it's wonderful. Well, and I think it'll be really wonderful to see where you go from here, right? To not be bound by whatever hours you were doing for the part-time job that you were doing. You now have the flexibility to choose how you use that time and, you know, on what days you see clients or what times you see clients. You know, you mentioned having a young child, you know, you might want to, you know, make time around whatever, you know, his schedule is or, or whatever, you know, so you can spend time with him. So it's really nice that you now have more opportunities to grow your practice and to see, you know, see these clients in their homes who need you. It's fantastic that you're either the only or one of very few people in your area who are doing this. That's wonderful that you have that, that edge. So what do you think, Katie, what is your kind of hope for the coming year in terms of where you might be at the beginning of uh, 2021? So, so one thing that I do want to mention, I said that I am, I think the only speech pathologist that does outpatient home visits. Um, I actually, there are two very large private practices in Buffalo, New York. They each have, I think one has maybe a dozen locations and the other is six or seven. Uh, so there is by standards, you know, what some might call, it's very competitive, but, you know, I choose to view it not as competition because I am serving a different population. They serve anyone that comes in the door. I am specialized. Uh, You know, I see what I see and I have gotten calls for patients that, you know, I've gotten pediatric calls and I say, you know, I'm sorry, I can't help you with that. And I give them another number. I've gotten calls for voice therapy and I say, ah, you know, I, you know, I know a really great voice specialist. Here you go. So it's, it's not about competition, right? Like we can all, everyone can work together community. And I think it's just the service delivery model that makes me different from, from the others. Yeah. And there's probably other pediatric private practitioners who feel, who also get calls for adults sometimes, right? So it's nice too for you to to get to know some of those people because, you know, with this abundance mindset, which I also subscribe to, you know, I think that one of the old ways of doing private practice is to have that competitiveness and to and to feel like you want to hoard all of the clients and keep everybody on this wait list and keep every you know, there's not enough people to go around. I have to get them all, right? To the new mindset of private practice, which is this abundance mindset, 
and that, you know, there are plenty of clients to go around and sharing people, you know, if you, you know, voice isn't really your thing. So you send it, you know, to your friend who does voice and then she gets aphasia and she's like, well, I definitely don't do aphasia. I'm, you know, call Katie. And And she's done exactly that. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. I didn't even know that. But I, but I know that that's what happens, right? And I've had many guests on the podcast who have said that, that they regularly have meetups with private practitioners in their area, mm-hmm. and they never thought that they would do that. Like they had this preconceived notion when they first started that it maybe wasn't going to be like that. And I think it's part of our job as this like new generation of private practitioners to build that in and to go in with it, with that mindset, but also to share that outlook with other people and other people in your area so that you can refer to each other. And especially working with adults, you know, there's going to be unfortunately more and more adults with neurological problems. You know, it feels weird saying this, but you're in a good position for growth, unfortunately, because of baby boomers and healthcare and illness and everything else, that there will be more than enough people to go around. Yes. And I 100% agree with you on that one. And, um, cultivating relationships in your area is so important. One of the things that I thought was if I become a private practitioner, I'm on my own, right? It's just me. And that's just not the case. You can build a community of people in your community, but also, you know, speech pathologists across the nation. I've, I've been able to do both. I started a local Facebook group for med SLPs in my area We've, which is something that I never thought I would do first off because I'm very introverted. Um, but I started it. I hosted a happy hour. <laughs> we went to a local brewery. It was great. I met a bunch of acute care SLPs that, you know, I had only seen on the bottom of my video floral study, floral study. And, uh, I was like, Oh, you're so and so. And, and it was great. And you know what? And I got some referrals from that too. I I handed out my business cards and I had some people call and say, Oh, so-and-so from, you know, this hospital told me to, to call you and it's great. And then also not just people in your community, but, you know, across the nation, international, all of those types of things. Social media is wonderful and awful at the same time. Wonderful in the sense that you can meet so many people and connect with so many other people that before you never would have been able to. And I've been able to meet so many wonderful speech pathologists who are starting private practices or who are medical speech pathologists that we've really just been able to connect with. And it it just makes you feel like you are a part of something rather than just on your own. Yeah. Well, and you're part of a solution, and a part of really being a change, you know, a good change, right? The analogy, you know, we talked about workbooks earlier, right? Rather than sticking to workbooks and sort of like this prescribed, you know, across the board kind of a thing, you know, people like you are starting to look outside the box and think, okay, how can I do not only therapy, but also run my business in a way that works like way better than I could in, you know, regular, you know, quote unquote, regular job, both for myself and for my patients. And then this, you know, idea of really supporting your community and getting to know these other clinicians. I mean, like the sky is the limit really on what an impact you can have because you chose to go a different route. Yes. 
Absolutely. And it's not just speech pathologists too. I've met, oh, I met an absolutely dynamite occupational therapist in my area who is a private practitioner. And we've been referring patients back and forth to each other. It's just great to, to, to network with people, but in a way that doesn't feel, you know, how networking sounds. That, that might not make much sense, but, uh, no, it does. When you were talking about like you have meeting up at a brewery, we then got talking about something else, but I was going to ask like, you know, and you said you handed out your cards and whatever, like, did any, did that feel pushy at all? No, not at all. Right. I think that people have this idea that networking and to, to get the word out about your practice, that you have to somehow be pushy. Right. And, and you don't, right. You just have no. to tell people, Oh, hi, my name's Katie and I have a private practice serving, you know, uh, adult neuro populations in Buffalo. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. You probably do a better job introducing yourself than I do. <laughs> but, you know, you, you just have to tell people what you do and who you serve and how you serve them. And that's really all you have to do. There's no pushiness required. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I mean, no one's going to refer to you if they don't know about you. So you have to, so that was one thing I struggled with was telling people that I have a private practice, feeling pushy, but I mean, really there's no other way and you're providing a service too. It's, it's not that you're doing it to, you know, try and get money or. Yeah. Well, you know, what would be pushy. What would be pushy is if you specialized in adult neuro, but you chose to see everybody and to tell everyone that they needed therapy, even if they didn't, right? Mm-hmm. That's the difference. Push Being pushy is really kind of feeling or telling people that they need stuff that they don't need. That's what pushiness is. So if instead you are leading with, this is who I help and how I help them, and then allowing them to make the next move and to say, oh, you know, that's so interesting. I have, you know, I may have clients to refer to you or, you know, it's so good to know about you. File that away for for later. That is just information sharing and letting people know that you and your services are available. No pushiness required. Absolutely. So is there any, before we wrap up, is there any like other lessons that you've learned or, you know, pearls of wisdom to share that might help some of our listeners who are really kind of in the beginning stages of thinking about this? Just do it. <laughs> a quote that one of who I feel is one of my mentors, uh, I can't take credit for this quote. Um, this is from Teresa Richard with the Swallow Your Pride podcast. She gave me two quotes that I actually have written on a whiteboard right at my desk. Uh, one is A players don't work for B leaders. And the other is Feel the fear and do it anyway which I think just completely sums up (laughs) how the last, you know, seven months have been for me in private practice. Well, you not only have done it anyway, but you've done it well. And I think that you are poised for growth and happiness this year as you really step into your own as a private practitioner. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. It's, it's exciting. It's, I'm, I can't wait to, you know, go to work on Monday. <laughs> I love it. And where, I know that you also have um, an Instagram presence. I where, do. Can, where can people follow you on Instagram? Yes. Um, so my Instagram handle is at neuro speech solutions. 
Uh, if you purchase Jenna's social media calendar, you'll see a little screenshot of my page because she was uh, kind enough to <laughs> share it. <laughs> well, kind enough. I, I looked at all of the people who I knew had social media and I looked at the accounts that I thought were doing the best job at promoting their practices. And um, I chose you and also at hearsay speech was the other one that I chose. Wonderful. But, but you definitely, you know, those of you who are on Instagram, send Katie a DM, certainly follow, you know, her account and what she's doing. Cause she's doing a really nice job at increasing awareness, not only of her services, but of, you know, the, the kinds of issues that her clients face and, um, her account's really, really good. So you should definitely. Thank you. Yeah. My, my Instagram is focused not so much on my private practice, although yes, my private practice. However, it's more for speech pathologists on how to, you know, do person-centered and functional therapy. Just small tidbits. Here's things that you can do explaining different evidence-based practices. And uh, so come follow me. I love to chat with all of you. (laughs) I love it. Well, Katie, thank you so much for doing this interview. As I said, it was been so much fun to watch you start out as a student and start your private practice and to have be doing this interview the you know the same you know time period that you're about to end your your job your part-time job and just go full in with private practice so good for you and please keep in touch and uh keep telling me all the good things that are happening in your life thank you of course you know i will awesome thank you katie thank you jenna for having me so how amazing is katie I can't tell you the distinct pleasure I've had of watching her go over the last six or seven months from complete novice, curious about private practice, but desperately wanting to make it work to about to quit her job. And, you know, she currently has 15 clients or 15 sessions, and she's going to be going up to who knows how many in the next year. And I'm just so, so proud of her. In the episode, she mentioned watching uh, my free training, which is available for you too at startyourprivatepractice.com backslash webinar. You can go on there that website today. You can sign up. You can watch the training tonight, just like Katie did. And if you want to follow the exact same process, watch the same videos, fill out the same worksheets as Katie did, and get the same level of support that Katie did in the Facebook group, Watch the webinar first, which again is available at startyourprivatepractice.com backslash webinar, and then consider joining the Start Your Private Practice system, which you'll be able to do at the end of the presentation. Again, I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode with Katie, and you can follow her on Instagram at at Solutions. and I hope you have a wonderful week. Take care. Now that you've listened to the episode, I want to invite you to a free training. Do you have a business background? Most SLPs who go into private practice don't. You went to grad school, not business school. But here you are trying to start or grow a private practice. The good news is business skills can be learned and I want to help you make solid decisions on how to start and grow your private practice so you can serve your community and build a legacy while doing therapy on your own terms in your own time, and yes, make more money. I want to invite you to my free training specifically to help SLPs get the background information you need to know in order to be successful. There are two tracks, the start track and the grow track. 
because the needs of beginners and growth level private practitioners are very different. The trainings are short but thorough and can be consumed and put into action quickly. I want to teach you how to think, act, and behave like the private practitioner you are meant to be so that you can step into the vision you have for your private practice and your life. And the best part? These trainings are completely free. To register right now, simply visit independentclinician.com. Click Start or Grow, and we can get started right now. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independent clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.